Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We're in Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. You can listen. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or are rather known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. What a condemning phrase. You know, over 350 years ago, a shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of what we call North America. Uh, The first year, they established a town site. Second year, they elected a town governor. The third year... The town governor planned to build a road going five miles to the west. And then the fourth year, the people tried to impeach him because that was a waste of money. Um, can, you have traveled 3,000 miles, countless, uh, not countless, there's a specific number, but many of them died either on the journey or from complications from sickness of the journey. They're in a place with no hospitals or or anything, frontier living, difficult living, they have risked everything, their lives, on a 3,000-mile journey. And four years later, they'd lost the vision of travel and didn't want to go even five miles further west. Now we're here. Why why, why do we need to go anywhere? Um, With... They lost their pioneering vision with a clear vision of what we can become in Christ, there is no ocean of difficulty that is too great for us. But without that vision, we rarely move beyond our current boundaries, beyond our comfort zone. So many churches struggle with growth, and one of the reasons for that, a failure to grow, to move forward, or one 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 of the results of that, I should say, When a church is just stagnant and not moving, despair begins to settle in. Um, Disunity can bring despair. Outward religion alone, and by outward religion I mean going to church on Sunday morning, um, Bible reading, prayer, tithing, while these are all good things, these are not the end goal. Um, They They point in the direction that we're going. They help us get where we're going, but they're not the end goal on their own. And if that becomes our end goal, if our end goal is just, I've got to get through X amount of chapters a week on Bible reading, I've got to show up at the church for X amount of hours a week, I've got to put X amount in the offering plate, there it is, I've done it, I've gone through the motions. That may, in the short term, that may, we might pat ourselves on the back and say, look at what we're doing, but in the long term, that will feel hopeless. That will feel pointless. Um, It's fake religion and we know it. Unity, Christian unity brings community and family 
and identity and direction. Unity is not always easy, but it is a necessary ingredient of a healthy relationship with God, with his church. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, we read of Paul's motives. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is why Paul preached the gospel. But now, but now, as we read, Paul is worried. He's worried about if he wasted his time preaching to the Galatians. How could he have wasted his time? Well, let's, let's continue to read. Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me. For I became like you, you have done me no wrong. And I just want to pause right there. Um, there there's a lot going on just in that one verse. You know, if, if I've learned anything through the years, I'd like to think that I have learned that relationships, healthy ones, aren't easy. They take time. They take investment. Um, romantic relationships uh, don't work. If there's not a friendship there. Anybody who's married and lasted any length of time knows that at some point the honeymoon phase wears off. The, oh, she's the prettiest girl I've ever met isn't the point anymore. Um, because we're, hopefully we're not, we're not that shallow and, and, and you can't live in that shallowness forever. And at some point we look to personality. Can I get along with this person? Are we friends? Um, Long-distance relationships only stand the test of time if there is a solid foundation. Communication is the key to getting along, to ending arguments, to understanding each other. Our relationship was backwards from so many people I know. I'm not saying that 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 people I know had it right. There are too many people uh, today that skip the wedding, right? And they just... They move in together, and biblically, we're supposed to get married. Okay, we did the opposite. We got married, and it was another three years before we really lived together. She had internships um, that she was still had to get through and do for her from her education, and so for the first three years that we were married, we didn't live together for very long—a uh, month here, a couple of months there—between her uh, internships. I learned some things about communication, the necessity of long-distance communication, the necessity of trust if we were going to survive. In fact, if anything, year three was difficult when she finally moved in for good, and I had to get used to the fact that even though I've been married for three years, kind of living like a bachelor and didn't have my wife around. That got, you know, the first couple months were easy, but it was kind of that month three, aren't you supposed to be going? Oh, you're not going. Um, That was when it got tough. Relationships are hard work. You guys know that. A relationship with God can be hard work. We still need communication. You know, this is one reason that I always want to bring up prayer and Bible reading because this is how. Prayer is how I communicate to God and the Bible is how he communicates to me. Worship service as well. You know, the preacher always harps on prayer, Bible reading, going to church. Yeah, that's, that's how we communicate, right? And without that communication, there's no... 
the relationship isn't going to be healthy. We've got to have those basics. And so if I harp on them in sometimes week after week after week, assuming that I've still got about 20 more years in me to preach, give or take, if I'm average, and that you guys, you know, we don't come to a mutual parting, if I'm here for another 20 years, you guys are still going to hear this for the next 20 years. Prayer, Bible reading, come to church. These are the, the, the foundations, the backbone of what it means to be a Christian. We need these. Not that they're the end goal. That would just be religion. But they get us to our end goal, which is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. We need that. That needs to be our goal. Paul lived among the Galatians, became one of them so that they could get to know him. Why? Because Paul matters? No, again, Paul is, frankly, a tool. He's an, we, if you want to use the fancy Greek word, we would use the word instrument. He's an instrument of God. You know what an instrument is. I play trombone. The trombone doesn't make a sound on its own. If I put it on a table and say, play an F, it doesn't do that. But through the trombone, I can make a whole lot better noise than, than without it. And... God chose to use Paul as an instrument to bring the Galatians closer to him through Paul's example of being Christ-like. God wants to use all of us as instruments as well, tools for his ministry. Um, Paul was an example to them. Paul knew God, and it can be a little intimidating to say, act like Jesus, Jesus was perfect, and that, can, that might intimidate us. And Paul could say, act like me. I'm trying to act like Jesus, and if you try to act like me, you'll, you'll get closer. In fact, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, um, Paul just mentions, I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. That's his motive. Uh, He knew Jesus, and he wanted people to see Jesus in his life, and and we should be the same. We we should be an example. And if it's hard to imitate Jesus, I think we have the freedom to say, then let's imitate Paul. Paul says that. Now, I think at some point, we don't need to imitate Paul anymore. You know, I think kindergarten-level, maybe eh, kindergarten-level Christianity, be like Paul. And as we mature, we start to realize, since Paul is trying to be like Jesus— be like Jesus. But, but we can start small if we need to. Paul knew, knew Christ. They had a run-in on the road to Damascus. He saw the light. You know, the older I get, the more I realize that I think we, we make the church, we make Christianity harder than it needs to be. It's not about complex theological issues, church programs. It's about being like Jesus. Now, that may, if that seems daunting, just, let's start with being like Paul. That's a good place to begin. Every journey begins with a step. One step at a time, we can be like Jesus. And when people see us, we want them to see him in us. That's, we want to be his instrument. When God, see, when God sees us, what does he see? Okay, let's keep, keep, keep reading. We're in Galatians chapter 4. Look at me, verse 13. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me 
as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. They, in welcoming Paul, the Galatians were an encouragement. He commends them for, for welcoming him into their churches, uh, encouraging him. When the going got tough, they built him up. Don't ignore that. Um, I, I, I can think of so many examples, unfortunately, and maybe you can too. The, the advantage of being a preacher's kid there's an advantage and a disadvantage. Um, the, my, my father, uh, we moved churches every four years. I only ever heard one preacher growing up, but I saw a lot of churches. Um, I, wasn't, I, I got to see how different churches do things. I have seen too many churches where some of the people, not everybody, they were good churches, but there's always that one or two people that think that it's their God-given responsibility to tear someone down. And I want to make sure that you guys understand that is not your responsibility. That is not the job of the church. God has not given you the task of, of tearing someone down, knocking them, knocking the, chip, the supposed chip off their shoulder or whatever. Um, that, that, that's not from God. Uh, I, I can think of, a, uh, I think, I think of a young lady I, I, I knew that at church group, uh, the, the church group picked on her for physical changes that she was going through in that, in that moment. Um, just, frankly, puberty. Um, man, church should be a safe... You shouldn't, ha- you shouldn't go to church and worry about the, kid, the, fe- the kids picking on you in a way that they wouldn't even do at school. should be a safe space. And we can say, oh, that's just the kids. That kids, kids will be kids, but, but man, adults can... <laughs> sometimes adults can be worse. Um, we, we as adults can have years of fine-tuning our language to be able to strike and make it hurt right where it counts. Paul specifies that he wasn't treated with contempt and scorn. Now, contempt, we think of you know, the biblical language. We think of the, the, the soldiers mocked Jesus. It's that same language. Um, the stone the builders have rejected as be, you know that rejected that have treated with contempt it's that same language scorn i mean, it's amazing how much the world has changed and how much hasn't changed um, we read that the soldiers spit on jesus and apparently that was back then the way that you showed uh, your distaste for someone your 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 scorn for someone was to spit at them that still happens from time to time. Not so much in the U.S., but you see that in other cultures, that that is still a way of showing scorn and disdain. And Paul says, you guys didn't treat me like that. You know, as Christians, I, I would hope that we're not known for scorn and contempt. We must be the first to commend and the last to condemn. We must look for what builds one another, what builds one another up, and not what tears them down. Now, I am talking about within the church. One of the problems that I think that the church of the 21st century has is we are too quick to commend stuff going on that isn't Christian and say it's no big deal. What the Bible calls sin, let us not dodge. On the other hand, I also don't expect non-Christians to act like Christians. Christians are really bad about trying to demand that everybody that doesn't believe in Jesus act like them. 
That seems like a waste of time and spinning wheels. We want people to know Jesus, and then when they know Jesus, let's talk about what it means to be Christ-like within the church. Let's build each other up and not tear each other down. We have to encourage one another. Uh, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It is not passively learning about Jesus, but actively being Jesus to our world. It's not about listening to a sermon or, or, or reading and taking in information. About the Bible is not like any other book. I like to read. You guys know that. Um, other books I read, I'm just reading to put this stuff in my head. Uh, I, I, if I read The Three Musketeers, uh, I, it's a story, and I'm just, you know, it doesn't, it, I don't have to remember every chapter, every detail. The Bible wants to change me. Because it's God, and God wants to change me, and so I don't read it the same, which means I don't read it at the same pace. You know, I may sit down and read eight, ten chapters of, of Three Musketeers, if they're short chapters, Three Musketeers or Treasure Island or something like that. The Bible, if I can just read a few verses, and if it blows my mind and say, whoa, this changes everything, I'm, I'm good with that. Let's, let's process that for a bit. Not a race to get through it in a year. The people's treatment of Paul encouraged him. And his truth was to encourage them in turn as we put the Bible into practice in our lives. As we become Christ-like, we build each other up. The way, that, the way that Paul felt the Galatians built him up and the way that he certainly built them up. And we want that kind of a relationship in our church. Keep, keep reading. Galatians 4.15 Paul says, what has happened to all your joy? Well, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? I will just say, Paul talks about that thorn in his flesh and everybody wonders what that thorn was. We read that something bothered him. and I, I have a legitimate theory. My theory is that, I mean, he got stoned more than once. I I legitimately think that he had a trauma-induced cataract. Um, And that, uh, and and I've had one of those where I got hit on the head, and then this one I just kept getting worse for years, while the other I stayed the same. At one point he says, you can tell I, Paul, wrote this. Look at what big letters I use. I think that he doesn't say you would tear out your eyes and give them. I don't think that that was figured. I, I think he had an eye problem. I think Paul was going blind. I legitimately think that that, I think that's why he usually used an amanuensis. When he signed his name, he had to write, that's a fancy word for somebody dictating to. Uh, he, I think he signed his name with big letters. I think Paul was going blind. I think that was, the, I, I think that he uh, had a concussion or something like that. It's a theory, but it holds up to all the facts that I see. Um, okay, that was just an aside on, on, on the, the eyes. The goal of Christianity is to know Jesus. Now, let me camp on the word know for just a second. In the Bible, there's a couple of words for know. There's the word gnosis, the Greek word gnosis, which means to know something. Like, I know that 2 plus 2 in a base 10 system is 4. Okay. There's this word epignosis, which is a full knowledge. Full knowledge might be intimately known. Now, if I say that I know something intimately, some people are going to joke and snicker and say, oh, the word intimate means sexual relations. 
It, it can, but the word intimate has a much broader range than that. It can include that because I certainly know my wife better than I know anybody else on planet Earth, and that's a good thing. Um, but intimate can mean more than that. Um, if, there is, if there's a book that I write, um, you know, after reading through it, second draft, editing, all these things, it's not un- inappropriate to say if somebody says, oh, this is a good book, I like it, I, you know, I... <laughs> I intimately know this book. I've been in and out of it, and I and I and, and I you know I fall asleep thinking about this book that I was working on, and I woke up thinking about you know it can mean it's a full knowledge. It takes out head knowledge, and it just becomes totally encompassing. That's that's what we mean by the if we say that we're that we intimately know something, and that's the word epigenosis. God wants us to know Him, and and it's this concept of an intimate knowledge which is just inside and out. It's more than just in our heads. We, it's all of us, uh, completely through. And some people never get there. They never have that aha moment where it, where it digs in deep. They, they read and they attend, and something's lacking. You know, and we might ask, how is it that some people can hit their whole life looking for that bit of enlightenment, that... that that moment when the, when the light bulb goes on, how is it some people can spend their whole life chasing after it and not get it? And I would like to answer at least certainly one of the most powerful ways. We cannot effectively know God until we practice what we preach. And that means it's got to be more than just in our head. It has to be in our hands and our mouth and our feet. We have to put our Christianity into practice. If it's just academic... If it's no different than reading Three Musketeers, then it's never going to become true faith. And it's never going to be a relationship with God. I have no relationship with Alexander Dumas. He's the guy that wrote The Three Musketeers. And he's probably, certainly he's my favorite classical writer. Um, you know, I've got 20, 30 books by him on my shelf. I really like Alexander Dumas. I've got enough books, please don't get me one for Christmas because you'll probably get me one I've already got. I, I, I really like him, but I don't know him. I'm at the point that I can read books, and when people say, he didn't really write this, somebody pretended to be him, I can maybe try to say, it seems like him or not. I don't know him, know him. There's no way that I can, right? He's just a book that I read. He's just an author that I read. But I want more from God than that. I don't want this to be just a book I read, just a bunch of dead guys that lived 2,000 and more years ago. I want to know the God that suffuses every page. And that's, and that's the God that I want to change me. Um, and, and I get that when I give it. When I, when I live it. When I give God's love away, I get his love better. And so some people never try. And they, never, and they can't understand then why their faith is only skin deep. Why, why it just seems like head knowledge. But, there's, but then there's others. And this is the neat thing. It doesn't take a it doesn't take a genius um one of the smartest men biblically i ever met never graduated high school in my previous church um he was a simple man um probably probably wouldn't wouldn't do too well on an iq test but goodness this was a man of faith and that's what matters in life what matters is our relationship with god we can get real all elitist about well some people are are have a higher IQ or what? God doesn't... If God gifts some people with an IQ, that's also their responsibility to use it for him. I don't... That doesn't 
matter. I, Bible college is neat. I'm glad that I got to go. You guys don't have to go. Um, the church existed for years without a Bible college. I think it's a great tool, but you don't need that. And therefore, it can't be the excuse. Well, I can't learn this book because I haven't been going to church for that long, or I didn't go to Bible college, or throw in all these other excuses that we can make. It's not based upon head knowledge. Heart, your, your relationship, you know, in the U.S., we, 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 we make it seem like your emotions come from your heart. It, the Greeks felt it came from your gut. Because, <laughs> um, well, when you fall in love, you get that queasy feeling in your stomach. So they were convinced that that was where the emotions were, and I kind of see where that's coming from. I've met too many Bible college graduates that it's all just up here, and they don't get it. And I know... A lot of people that due to, a, even though they, there may be a lack of education, even though maybe they didn't graduate high school, they know Jesus. They don't have a clue what systematic theology is, but they know Jesus. And that's what matters. It's not fancy. It's not about theology. It's, not about, it's about knowing Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Um, and then share it. Uh, share Jesus with those, those that need to... Uh, Need, need to see. And, and even in our weakness, even in our weakness, God can be seen. This was a rough summer on me. I got, got sick at camp, and I couldn't seem to shake it for the whole summer. And what I found is that while I was sick, I relied on God more. More prayer, more Bible reading, um, more just trying to trust God get me through this. Maybe that was a good summer after all, if there was more prayer and Bible reading. Sometimes in our weakness... God uses us even better. So we can't use those as excuses. The goal is to know the, know the Christ and share him. Now, let's finish up, uh, finish up this passage, verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. So it's so easy to take a step in the wrong direction, right? I, I, since the pandemic, I've been trying to watch my way. It's amazing that a week of eating healthy can be undone by just one cup of ice cream. It just amazes me how much that single cup, I'm getting a nod, at least one, single cup of ice cream seems to put on five pounds. It's incredible. Um, one, and, but, the, but the real problem is you eat that one cup of ice cream and you think, uh, now I've got momentum. <laughs> now, now there's no reason not to follow that up with a Snicker bar. Because I'm off my diet, let's keep going. Um, I'll start again tomorrow. And of course, then tomorrow you think, uh, supper. And Paul felt that for the Galatians. Um, the, the, were Jude, the Judaizers were people that brought the legalism of the Old Testament. More on that in a minute. Brought the legalism of the Old Testament in and told the Christians in Galatia, you guys need to do this. If you're going to be real Christians... You've got you to gotta do all the Old Testament Jewish stuff and, and the Christian stuff on top of that. And, and Paul's point in the book of Galatians is a lot of the Old Testament 
was for the Jewish people and it prefigured what Christians would do, but it's not assigned. In the, Old Testament, the classic example in the Old Testament, don't eat pig. And it's not a New Testament rule. Uh, the New Testament's very clear. Eat, eat what you want to eat. Um, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, though. <laughs> so on the one hand, eat what you want to eat. So somebody's going to say, so I can do drugs. No, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's harder, because then we ask the question, how much is too much ice cream, right? It's not that ice cream's a sin, but maybe too much isn't treating God's temple the way that it should. The, Paul's readers were in danger of slipping into legalistic ways, which is Jesus and grace plus all this other stuff. And Paul was depressed. The law brought despair. And that, I think, in part, was what it was supposed to do. The Old Testament law wasn't meant to show grace, joy. I, th- I, th- I do think that the people were called to love God, and God loved them. I absolutely believe that in the Old Testament. But I think that was sometimes hard to see with all the rules that didn't seem to have anything to do with love. If you do, you know... Entire chapters on if the mold is this cover, tear down the wall. And entire chapters of if this wound happens to you, you have to be uh, excluded from the community for X amount of time because of blood and impurities. The law, the law was probably near, I, I, back to our conversation, Andrew. We're, I'm, this is coming up now. <laughs> and, Andrew helped me work through a lot of this earlier this week. Um, the, the law... I've never met anybody Jewish who kept it completely. Every Jewish person I've ever met in my life cheated somewhat. <laughs> and and there's, no cheat, there's no wiggle room. You can cheat on your diet, but there's no wiggle room in the Old Testament on cheating other than start sacrificing animals, which let you know that your cheating was very, very costly. Um, something died when you cheated, which is, of course, we get prefiguring that Jesus died and we're saved by grace, not so that we can keep sinning, but that we don't have to stress it anymore. Um, the law showed us, because it was so hard to follow, that you couldn't pull it off on your own. You couldn't obey the law. You were going to break it. You needed help to, pl- to please God. But it is the grace of God that allows us salvation and brings us joy, because effort is not ours. Okay, so I'm going to steal. If you intended to do this one, I'm going to steal it from you completely, what we were talking about. Andrew asked the question earlier this week, what is the difference between a contract and a covenant? It's a good. I'd never thought of that. It's a good question, and we talked through it. Um, a contract is like, like Anna says, Jason, can I mow your yard? I'll, you know, uh, for for ten bucks, and I say, absolutely, that's a great price. You can mow the yard for ten bucks, um, and if she mows it, she gets ten bucks. If I don't, I broke that contract. If she doesn't mow it, she doesn't get the ten bucks, and it's purely business. I don't care how upset. I don't care how her day has. I, Jason, as a friend, cares, but but the contract doesn't care how her day is, was, how she's feeling, how hot it was. Just we have a contract. We're done. A marriage is a covenant, and marriages require forgiveness, love and cherish, sickness and in health, rich poor. Um, there 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 needs to be wiggle room for forgiveness, or the marriage won't work. Okay. Um, the covenant does care about how we feel. Uh, I love her. And so if she does something that I think was unloving, I give her the benefit of the doubt because I love her and I know that she loves me and I trust her. 
and I forgive her. And, and, and we've had, had to learn, not, like every relationship, difficult sometimes, talking through, when you said this, this is what I felt, and this is how I took it. Okay, well, that's not what I meant. Um, like every couple, we've had our blow-ups. Part two of Andrew's question was, might not seem related, but it's completely related. What does the word Satan mean? Satan is the accuser. That's, that's what the word Satan means. Satan's job in the Old Testament is that he accuses the Israelites of not following God. And, and he's right, isn't he? I mean, they broke the, they, the, the... In the Old Testament, it was kind of like a contract at times. You do this, you sin, you offer this animal on the altar, blood sacrifice, and there's nothing about what you should feel. You sin doesn't matter if you feel sorry. It doesn't matter if you love God more than anything on earth and it was a total accident. You sin, this animal dies. doesn't matter if you're angry with God that you have to kill your best ram or lamb or whatever. This animal dies, moving on. A lot of the Old Testament can feel very contractual. You do this, you get this. And Satan, the accuser, stands before God and says, they broke the contract. And he does that for us too. Christians broke the contract. But Jesus says, I don't want a contract, I want a covenant. I want a covenant relationship with them. I want, it. their motive does matter. I know they love me. I know they can't follow me perfectly, but they're trying, and I forgive them. And so we stand in a, <laughs> we stand in a courtroom where it's Satan's arguing, and he's, and he's legalistically, technically correct, thank God for grace, that Jesus says, through grace, this isn't a business transaction. This is a relationship. And that's why the relationship matters. And that's Paul's point. You don't want to go back into Judaism. You don't want to go back into legalism. You don't want to follow the law because you can't follow the law. And you're going to be damned if you try to follow the law. So rely on grace. Don't let these people distract you by the rules. Follow God through grace, a relationship with him. Did I do okay on that? Is that okay? I really appreciate that he, that he worked through that with me. But like the Judaizers, we, we look the gift horse in the mouth. Because legalism is easy. Do X, Y, Z, you're good, you don't have to stress about it. It isn't easy. Freedom is hard. Um, it requires responsibility. Slavery to the law is easier. We want the easy way out. Bondage is easier than freedom, but we're called to be free in Christ. The joy, initial joy is easy in, Christian, in, in Christianity. It's initially easy to get that joy um, when, we, when we get excited and we follow along. But we can mistake joy for happiness. And, and then the problem because that we want that, that emotional rush. And so having come back from camp, I'm reminded of when I was a kid, same kids every, every year would come forward at church camp. They'd get rebaptized, which is not a word I find in the Bible. They'd get rebaptized. Why? Because they want that emotional high. If Pam and I get into a fight, I don't have to get married again. If I get so mad that I climb in my car and I storm off and I'm gone for a week, if I come, when, assuming that I come back, I don't have to get married again, right? We're married. That relationship, even if that relationship is going through a rocky time, I don't need to get married again. God is always faithful to us. Yeah, I'm not always faithful to him, but he always forgives me. And I don't need to worry about the emotional high. We're still married when we're asleep. I'm not feeling anything for her when I'm asleep. I'm not married to my wife based upon what I'm feeling, and you're not saved based on what you're feeling. Your feelings don't matter. What matters is that relationship, that covenant relationship. 
That's what we're called to. Um, Feelings don't save us. A relationship with God through Jesus does. We're not called to an emotional high. We're called to a consistent relationship. Um, I'm not so much worried about what you feel on Sunday. I'm worried about your relationship on Monday through Saturday. Our hymn of invitation is hymn number 489. Do we, do we serve as church to get attention, the approval of men, or, or are we trying to please God? We're not after the approval of men. We're after the truth of God in a relationship with him. The, tr- the gospel can bring despair. There are going to be people who hear the gospel, think it's true, and then say, and I'm not going to do this. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I don't want this. It may be true, but this isn't for me. And that would be depressing, I would think. Let that not be us. Um, let us hear the truth of Christ. Let us commit to a relationship with God through Jesus. That's the call and if you want to talk about that after church, if you have a decision, if you're not a Christian and you want to talk about becoming one, I'd love to talk with you about that. If there's anything else you need to talk about, I mean, that's, that's what we're here for, right? Uh, we're, we're in this together. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.